Hello everyone, welcome to our bonus podcast. My name is Donatas Urbanas, I'm the host and I'm joined by my colleague Ritis Vishnauskas. Ritis, welcome back. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, really, it was a pleasure actually to listen to your previous uh, podcast with Eric McCollum. I have no regrets for skipping that one and uh, leaving my place for Eric because it was a very uh quality content i would say not in terms of technical quality because uh, i'm looking yeah. forward to eric getting a better microphone yeah new earphones uh, uh going to <laughs> yeah, at but, the moment um but actually it was so interesting to hear some insight and some predictions and analysis from a true professional eric mccollum is a great basketball player and at the same time you can hear that he has a lot to say uh for the public and um he seems like a guy you can have a conversation about Euroleague, EuroCup, ETB United League, the NBA, whatever. He can just mm-hmm. talk basketball. And he he explains a lot of things in very simple, w- with very simple examples. So it was really great to have Eric McCollum here on air. And I'm looking forward to having him a lot more often. Agree. It was a big pleasure because uh, I think that he has a bright future uh, in in this area. And what I was fascinated the most about was that the way he explains things through his experience. And he has highest level basketball experience. And in every sentence, somehow, naturally, he puts some personal examples. Also, he follows a lot of basketball and he remembers some quotes which were said like last year or two years ago. And there's such a flow. He's so intelligent that it's it, it happens so naturally that it's so easy and so interesting to listen to him. Yeah, and on, on top of that, he seems like a very positive guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very friendly, very very talkative, and he he can be a great podcaster or an analyst if he wants to. But at the moment, he's still a pretty solid player <laughs> in yeah, the Euro he's Cup. Kind of cool. <laughs> he's probably the best player in the Euro Cup this season. So. Yeah, one of the front runners to become the MVP of the Euro Cup, so it's even the bigger honor for us yeah. to have him uh, on the podcast. We will have him probably in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we will see. Uh, but today we're going to discuss some um, main topics of the EuroLeague action, starting from the game of the week, uh, Real Madrid and Monaco, double overtime game. Also, we saw the hottest EuroLeague team stopped uh, last week. Also, there are some some rumors around CSKA Moscow. We will discuss what happened to Olympiacos. They were amazing before COVID happened. Now they are struggling. And also, who else is struggling when Anadolu FS? So we will discuss all uh, these things. Let's start with the 18th uh, double overtime game in the early history. Probably it's modern early history. What is interesting, at least Yanis Psarakis, very interesting uh, Twitter profile, tweeted that uh, Euroleague didn't have triple overtime. Uh, games uh, so far so that's a fun fact uh, anyway that game in, in in Monaco was exciting but at some point uh, in some way it was also pretty tough uh, to watch 2.5 uh, almost three hours of uh, action in Monaco and a lot of missed shots and especially from from Dwayne Bacon Dwayne Bacon and uh, Mike James nine from 39 30 23 uh, percent of shooting they m- both missed 30 shots combined and per Darius Garuales data that makes them the worst shooting combo in modern yearly history uh, Bacon had 19 points in 41 minutes on 6 of 20 field goal shooting Mike James 11 points on 3 of uh, 
19. And also Mike James also mm, marked the, one of the worst individual performances in the EuroLeague. Uh, again, Pardarius Garualis, Garualis, only Gordon Giricic, le- legendary Gordon Giricic, had a worse shooting efficiency with at least 19 field goal attempts, making only 2 of 19 in 2001, probably. But they still could have won. Just like Mike James said himself, yeah. we played like shit, but we could have won anyways. So this says a lot about Monaco, how they how they improved as a team. Um, let's say in the first part of the season, if they if they would be facing Real Madrid and having these numbers, they would be blown out by mm-hmm. like 20 or 30 points. In this case, they were staying in the game. They were actually leading the game and they... You could say they should have won the game. Twice, at least twice. twice. I mean, I know shots were not falling. I mean, some of the shots are questionable. Mm-hmm. Shot selection, I mean. However, uh, in the crucial moments, in the last seconds of the game, when Mike James has the ball, you expect him to at least hit the rim. Uh, this was the most frustrating moment of the game for me personally. Uh, in In the end of the first overtime... Mike James got a switch on on Eddie Tavares, and I wanted him to be aggressive, to try to attack Tavares, to try try and drive, Mm -hmm. or at least after his sidestep, make something, make a shot. Tavares just blocked his shot like, I don't know, there was a fly somewhere near his face like this. So uh, it, it was really frustrating. I know that Dwayne Bacon also, you can say choked in the end of the fourth quarter. In my opinion, experience and mentality won this game for Real Madrid. We know how experienced these players are. They are never faced by the deficit. I mean, they're losing by nine or six. They're just playing their basketball. Uh, There was one possession in in the second overtime where, you know, you might get nervous a little bit. It's a close game. You're playing away from home. The ball movement, it was so natural. Mm -hmm. Rudy Fernandez inside the paint, finds Jeffrey Taylor in the corner, open free, bam. Real Madrid have this one in the bag. And also, shout out to Gershon Yabuselli. He really probably had some extra motivation playing against Monaco, knowing that last season they they were his rivals, direct rivals, when he played for Aswell. So he was really a dominant player. He was just announced the MVP of uh, January, and he Uh, fully deserved it. Amazing performance. By the way, Walter Tavares got into early foul trouble. Uh which was a problem, obviously. You always expect Tavares to dominate the games in the and paint. How important he was in the end of the game. Not yeah. only blocking shot uh, of Mike James, but also getting, I think it was two crucial offensive rebounds. Probably one was made by uh, Poirier, but the next one, uh, when Tavares tied the game, uh, probably it was before that Mike James uh, yeah. uh, jumper, it was uh, Tavares' offensive rebound. And yeah, that, that possession uh, was weird, I would say, because... Uh, when I saw the reaction of Mike James, it seemed like he didn't want that play. I mean, he didn't want the switch. He didn't want, not the switch, he didn't want the uh, screen of Will Thomas because when Will Thomas uh, came aggressively to make a screen, they switched and he got Walter Tavares. And in my eyes, if you have Tavares, probably is the best way to try uh, to try to beat him by driving the mm, the basket. penetrate, be aggressive. Penetration. And in that situation, the problem was that he didn't have enough time. It was less than five, four seconds uh, uh, to the end of the overtime. So probably Mike saw the situation that the screen was too late 
or it was for him, of course, Jeffrey Taylor is also a very uh, big defensive matchup uh, for you. But probably it, it was better in that situation to try to sh make a shot uh, against uh, Jeffrey Taylor. And yeah, they, they wasted the lead twice. They were up by six with less than two minutes to play in the regulation. And then they were up by five uh, with less than one minute to play in the first uh, overtime. So with teams like uh, Real Madrid, with the experience of Real Madrid, with the level of Real Madrid, you cannot play games like that. You cannot waste a, a lead twice and expect to win the game. So the final outcome was kind of, you know, logical. Yeah, this was an opportunity and they should have taken it. I honestly thought that um, Real Madrid will be the team that will bring down Monaco uh, down to earth. I mean, Monaco mm -hmm. were on a winning streak, but as Eric McCollum also analyzed, they beat some opponents that they should beat naturally, mm. some teams that were not in a very good moment, or simply teams that are in the bottom of the EuroLeague. Uh, they had solid wins against Zenit and Bayern, you have to give them that. But at the same time, I was looking at this game and I was thinking like, uh, okay, Demo is on a great streak right mm. now. His, his numbers are elite. You could say in the last five or six games, he's the best center in the EuroLeague. But now he's going to face Tavares. So I was thinking that it's not going to be a good night for Donatas Motiunas, Real Madrid, with their experience. They will bring Monaco mm -hmm. down to earth. None of this happened, really. This was an opportunity and they should have won this game. And if they had done it, you would be thinking, wow, they are legit playoff contenders. Yeah. They just beat Bayern, Zenit, and now even Real Madrid. But it was an opportunity missed. Shit happens, as as you can say. I mean, if I if I have Mike James on my team, I don't want to show any disrespect to Mike James. He's my favorite player in the Euroleague. If I have him on my team, I would always trust him to take the last shot. Yeah. Always. But in this case, I was disappointed. It was not a good decision to attack Tavares in this way. We can also remember that it was a very questionable shot by Bacon probably towards the end of regulation, because he had Danilo and Yushic completely open uh, on the but left corner, Dwayne I think. Bacon. But this is Dwayne Bacon, <laughs> and probably that's, that's you know, the NBA mentality. Scorers gonna score, they're gonna make uh, these uh, decisive shots, and they're, they're not going to pass you, and especially when you're Danilo and Yushic. Maybe if you're Mike James, maybe if you're open, okay, maybe Bacon will make that pass. Mike James can pass the ball, we know that. Yeah. He can be a good playmaker for others. Dwayne Bacon... I don't think he really cares about open guys in the corner. <laughs> he only sees the rim. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Bacon, uh, he's a talented player. He can score. But uh, together with other colleagues, we always joke about Dwayne Bacon because his points tally is always bigger than his PIR. Mm -hmm. Way bigger. You will never see Dwayne Bacon getting like... 10 points, but at the same time, mm -hmm. 15 efficiency Because he's not an efficient rate. shooter, yeah. Not, a, not an efficient shooter and also not a distributor of the mm -hmm. ball. And mm -hmm. the distribution of the ball was a big problem for yeah. Monaco in the overtime because uh, under Sasha Bradovic, we saw uh, a lot of games where, where they were sharing the ball, they were efficient on offense. But for me, it seemed like that in the end of the game, both Mike James and Wayne Bacon, they forgot how to share the ball because all these crucial shots were made in ISO situations without any right. ball movement and that hurt. And for example, on the other side of the floor, we saw Real Madrid sharing the ball, different players were making shots, uh, different threats to the basket. 
basket. So it was a good example of what Monaco still need. They need to be more consistent moving the ball. And the problem is that that game, again, showed the potential of Monaco that, uh, as you said, before before the second part of the regular season, they're going to be the team who will make the uh, playoff push. But at the same time, that extra point was so important for them because that was completely extra. I mean, the best team of the EuroLeague at the moment. Yeah. So that would be that would uh, create them huge advantage if they uh, none of your game. none of your rivals take wins against Real Madrid. Yeah. So for you to win against Madrid, it would be something extra, as you said. I actually wanted to raise the question about Donatas Matiunas. We've been talking about him in some of our podcasts. Mainly, we were talking about his poor defense and how he is being attacked and uh, exposed on the pick and rolls. But right now, he's playing amazing um, on offense, showing his true talents, true potential. Do you think this goes down to him just being in a better shape? Or is it better coaching with Sasha Bradovic? Uh, what is the reason for Donatas Matiunas playing like this? I think it's maybe it's a better co- uh, coaching or I would say uh, coaching uh, more oriented on the strengths of every player of Monaco. Because before they played more, they were heavily backcourt uh, uh, oriented team. And now, especially in the beginning uh, of, of the game, in the beginnings, beginnings of the games, uh, they're trying to give uh, Matunas ball uh, more. They try to give him more touches and he's just, uh, he's a very efficient uh, um inside the, the paint uh, player and uh, that's uh, that's that's just the part of the plan of Monaco they're playing more in and out uh, game than before and Donatas Matunas just is just delivering so i think that that's that's the main reason yeah probably right ball movement is much better than before alpha diallo is also i more actually involved. see some connection between donatas and mike james in in, in some of the games Donatas mm-hmm. was scoring like 14, 16 points and 80% of those came directly from Mike James. So maybe there's some better chemistry right now, but also credit goes to Sasha Obradovic. Um, we remember Obradovic in his first game at the wheel. Mm-hmm. It was in Konas. He didn't have any practices yet. He just came straight away and replaced um, Zvezdan Mitrovic. So in that game in Konas, they won in overtime it was a very high-scoring game. And uh, after that match, in the interview, Sasha Bradovic said, like, yeah, there was no defense at all. There's a lot of work to do. Today we used our extra quality to win the game. And after that, Sasha Bradovic did some amazing things. This is not a good defensive team when you look at it on paper. If you have, like, Mike James and Donatas Motiunas on the court, they are targets for for the Mm -hmm. opposition but somehow Sasha Bradovic makes them look like a decent defensive team not an elite defensive team they don't have to be elite on on the defensive department but decent Mm -hmm. and with their quality and skills on offense being decent on defense might be just enough so a lot of credit goes to Sasha Bradovic for what he did so far yeah, and if we talk about Matunas and Mike James combo, there's a good tool on uh, bbolitics.com uh, created by Mikolas Stumbras. There's there are stats which show um, the efficiency of two player, three player, four pl- uh, player combos. So Mike James and Donatas Matunas makes the second best two player combo in Monaco team. Uh, their plus minus playing together is uh, plus fifty five. Um, good offensive rating, good defensive rating. I mean. They're they're good. They're good yeah. playing together. I just hope 
there will be no chemistry issue so mm. uh, going forward in the season because we heard what happened uh, yesterday in the French league game some confrontations between Alpha Diallo and Mike James I just hope they stick together if they do they can they can really be yeah it just very competitive it's just unclear what actually happened yesterday so yeah, we will yeah. try not we to will not speculate on that we yeah. will not speculate on that uh, let's just say a few sentences about real madrid mm -hmm. <laughs> because uh, now they presented gabriel deck now he's back now he's active playing um so let's just imagine that it's Final four or the quarterfinals, whatever. A very important game in the season. And everybody's healthy in Real Madrid. Mm. Who will be left out? Pablo Lasso will have to choose 12 players. And some players will be left out. Whether it's the EuroLeague final or the semifinal. And can you imagine, like, for example, they are playing in the final... And Fabian Corsair and Adam Hunger being left out just because there's not enough space mm -hmm. on the easily, roster. Easily. I mean, <laughs> Lasso has that nice yeah, privilege. I know, but Adam Hunger and Fabian Corsair, I'm just taking them as examples. I mm -hmm. don't know. Maybe he would leave out Nigel Williams Goss or somebody yeah. else. I'm just taking Corsair and Hunger as examples. These two players would be starters on most of the EuroLeague teams oh. right now. And potentially, they could be left out from the EuroLeague final if Real Madrid is there and everyone's healthy. This roster is so stacked, it's unfair. It's as unfair, <laughs> actually, it's unfair. <laughs> I mean, come on. And it's Gabri cheating, yeah. And Gabriel Deck, he's gonna get in a better shape. Obviously, he's, he's a little bit rusty because we were sitting on a bench in Oklahoma, but he's gonna get better. And he was already crucial against Monaco. He scored all of his seven points in the second overtime. And he was really good. He was using uh, the mismatch situations very well uh, because in some situations, Monaco were lacking of size and, and strength yeah. that Gabriel Deck has. So that's already a good start for him not for not playing for such a long time. This is crazy, no, really. Have, yeah, I see <laughs> Real Madrid roster right now, and it's... I mean, <laughs> either way, if you leave out, like, Trey Tompkins or somebody, uh, most of the EuroLeague teams would take these players immediately. You offer Fabian Coser to, let's say, I don't know... Unix, Kazan, Unix. for example. Uh, Fenerbahce in their current situation. Everyone would take Fabian Coser. And Pablo Lasso has the privilege to leave him out of the roster just because he's using other players that day. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. And I wonder what uh, Unix Kazana thinking right now because they would, uh, they would gladly uh, invite all these players or at least a couple of Real Madrid players to uh, make their uh, bench deeper because yeah. we're going to talk about Unix. Uh, they lost two games uh, last week, of course, against uh, great teams uh, like uh, CSKA and Real Madrid. They lost to CSKA by 11 and Real Madrid by, by 17. Nine, 19 or 17, but actually at one point in this game, it was a 30-point deficit. Yeah. Uh, actually, when I, when I was uh, watching the game in Madrid, uh, in the middle of the third quarter, I thought that um, they are just giving up on this game because uh, the m more important game is the one against Saska. Mm -hmm. Because Saska are near Unix in the standings. Real Madrid is 
far away, mm -hmm. just like Barcelona. So it doesn't hurt to lose against Madrid. Everyone's losing against Madrid. Uh, but obviously the priority for them was the game at home against uh, Ska. And maybe they were saving energy a little bit mm. when they played in the Spanish capital. But then against the Ska, all of a sudden you see that Isaiah Cannon is not prepared. He's not playing. And that's already a huge blow for winning. Of course, they don't they, have They don't have depth, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah Cannon always provides a spark. Yeah, they were missing that spark very much because they have six players playing uh, let's say they have six man rotation and uh, four or five players playing less than 13 minutes and isaiah cannon was very crucial he was the first man to come up uh, off the bench and to give that yeah. spark which was really missing john brown had probably his worst game of the season worst and it was the season and it was his birthday his 30th birthday he was presented with a cake mm. he actually move. put out the candles yeah. with it his fingers turned off the something lights. you would expect john brown to do <laughs> why blow the candles when you can just snap them <laughs> maybe it affected his game i'm not sure <laughs> yeah because he didn't for the first time of the season he didn't make any steals maybe he got burned i don't he know he couldn't hit jump shots yeah, he, he scored <laughs> only one point i think from the free yeah, throw line yeah. so that was a very bad week and uh, we all know John Brown. We all know all his all of these stories that he's always playing full speed. He never gets tired. I mean, when I made uh, wrote an article about him, the one of the most impressive things to all the of his teammates was that the guy just never gets tired. After the game, he can play forty minutes and then he's joking all around in the locker room. Now he actually looked fatigued. He actually didn't look as the same John Brown as he was before, and as well as. Almost the rest of the team. I would say that Lorenzo Brown, he's in an incredible shape. But all the other guys, they were they were missing. And uh, I tried to um, find for the reasons why why that these things were happening. Maybe it can be related with COVID problems they had. It was their uh, after COVID hit. It was their f they played five games in twelve days. They rarely practiced. And uh, they kind of feel that they still need some time to get back in shape. Oh, oh, in shape. Although they had great game against Barcelona, I think, and uh, against uh, FS, it seemed like they played, you know, from from the adrenaline. But when they uh, got to play on longer stretches, uh, more games every two days, you know, the fatigue uh, uh, showed up. So I don't know. But looking at Mario Hazonia, I wouldn't say he looked tired. He mm. was a bit unlucky actually in that uh, Ska game. Uh, he hit. Two free pointers at the buzzer. Ah, yeah. And he was like two tenths of a second yeah. away from scoring those three pointers that could actually change the game. Yeah. His shooting was off a little bit, but he still got his numbers. Mario Hezonia to me doesn't look mm -hmm. tired. Lorenzo Brown definitely doesn't look tired. Uh, but uh, in the end of the day, you see that they are lacking depth. And when a guy like Isaiah Cannon is missing a game you feel mm. that because who's going to take his minutes they had to give some minutes to marcos pisu very limited minutes um they had to trust uzinski a little bit more he's just a role player they were actually trying to use gerald brantley on offense which was never the case mm. uh, with this team but he was playing a lot in the post finding some mismatches um maybe unix is not in their best moment but at the same time you have to realize how difficult it is and, and mm -hmm. at this level to beat the same team like Tseska with the great mind like coach Etudis three times in a row let's not forget they beat them in the VTB United League in a low scoring game 
and they beat them in Moscow 88-67. Yeah. So I was kind of expecting that in this game, CSKA will have some adjustments. They will bring something different and they should actually win in Kazan. And the main adjustment for me was Alexei Shvet being used as a pure shooting guard. Mm. Previously, he was the playmaker, he was the point guard, and in some games it wasn't working, especially against Milano, against their switch-all defense with Kyle Hines. So in this game, Dimitri Satoudis decided to bring the best out of Alexei Shved, using him as the classical shooting guard, staggers, screens off the ball. Some crazy three-pointers. Of course, after offensive rebounds, he got some shots, some extra opportunities, uh, thanks to Milutinov and the others. But he was making shots, and in this game, he was not the ball handler, the creator. Daniel Hackett was the point guard. Ife Lundberg was the point guard. Alexei Shved didn't make any assists. He didn't play many pick and rolls. His job was to make shots. He was the shooting guard, and it worked. It worked really well. 27 points. His best game of CSKA jersey ever. Yeah, amazing. And also, of course, Nikola Milutinov was crucial. In the first quarter... Um, I was covering this game, and in the first quarter, I mentioned that I'm kind of disappointed that uh, Scar are not providing any touches uh, for Nikola Milutinov inside the paint. They mm -hmm. have this height advantage, and they are unable to find Milutinov in the paint. In the first quarter, in my opinion, it was a problem. They were struggling. But in the second quarter, finally, they started feeding Nikola Milutinov. He got some second-chance opportunities also. He got some free throws. And he was actually in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, too much to handle for Unix. Mm. John Brown was getting personal fouls. Tonya Jekiri was doing a decent job, but still Milutinov was better. And uh, one of the key factors, they had a classical shooting guard in this game and a classical center, and they managed to beat Unix with this, like, classical basketball concept. Yeah, and after such a great game of Alexis Shved, I was so surprised that uh, it's not official yet, but uh, Tseska, they are finalizing the deal uh, with Alaric Freeman, who is a, he's a, who's a scorer, uh, who's a shooting guard, and uh, scoring-oriented player, I would say. They're working on a buyout, and uh, Bursa Spor will get around 100,000 euros for this transfer. Uh, of course, what is very important that it's not the last acquisition of uh, CSKA Moscow and they're looking for a point guard. But as you mentioned, uh, even if you're looking at a point guard, uh, you have Alexis Shved and you can easily use him as your elite uh, shooting guard, elite scorer. I remember Andrei Vatutin in his official letter on Sports Through, he mentioned that, okay, uh, players like Shved, Hackett, uh, Lundberg, Grigonis, they can attack, but we don't have superstars. But for example, when you take Alaric Freeman, who is a great scorer, but he's not proven on the EuroLeague uh, level yet, I think that you're just missing and you're forgetting that Alexis Shved is actually your superstar scorer. I mean, he can actually score on a superstar level. Uh, if you remember, we were comparing him with Mike James. It was kind of a race of the best scorer of the EuroLeague. He's, he's on that level. And I'm not so sure if Alaric Freeman can add anything to this team. I mean, they already have a good rotation, good backcourt rotation. So I was I was a bit surprised by by this move I would say. I mean Brad Wanamaker could add something. He's a point guard. This is what they need. Alaric Freeman it could be a good signing if they if they would be replacing uh, like Ife Lundberg. Mm -hmm. But if Ife is staying 
it's kind of strange to see Alaric uh, Freeman arriving in Moscow. Maybe it has something to do with Marius Grigonius' mm. health issues because he's constantly in and out. Mm. Maybe they want to have some cover for the shooting guard position. I'm not so sure, but definitely they need a point guard a lot more than, than a shooting guard. But the statement from Vatutin about the superstars, <laughs> I mean, come on. It's unfair. Wh it's unfair. Wh what do you mean by saying we don't have superstars? Is Will Clyburn not a superstar? I know he had injuries, but he's still being considered the best small forward in the league. Is Nikola Milutinov not a superstar? He's one of the best centers. Okay, again, he had injuries. It's a problem, but he's still one of the best centers, top three or top four centers in the EuroLeague right now. He was in a discussion for the MVP this season before yeah. before it started and he got hurt in the first round. Is Toko Shengelia not a superstar? Yeah, I mean, if these guys are not superstars, so tell me who are who? the superstars of the EuroLeague? Mike James only? I know that Grigonis or Lundberg, they're not yeah, superstars. Yeah, I know that Kurbanov is not a superstar, no. But, I mean, Foytman is not a superstar, but he's an elite stretch four. Mm -hmm. Every team would love to have All Foytman. All these players were elite on their teams. And we can talk about another topic, uh, because I mentioned these players as individuals. Like, Toko Shengeli is a EuroLeague superstar. I'll just add one thing uh, about the point guard, yeah. um, because they're still on the market uh, for the point guard, and according to uh, updated EuroLeague rules, they're allowed to make a signing until February 23, 23rd. And I've heard that they're actually pushing again for Kevin Pangos. Uh, I've heard that they also improved uh, the offer uh, for Kevin Pangos. Again, he's not uh, playing a lot uh, recently. He's getting only one or two minutes in NBA games. So we'll see if he will be convinced now since Cleveland makes some adjustments and he can clearly see that he doesn't have, he won't have any playing time for, for Cavaliers uh, this uh, season. So Kevin Pangos, he would be a game changer. He would be a superstar. He would be Tutin would have his superstar finally. Yeah. Or maybe it's not enough. Maybe they need Russell Westbrook <laughs> to be the real superstar. <laughs> they <laughs> don't need Russell Westbrook, actually. <laughs> actually, nobody needs Russell Westbrook these days, but okay. And, uh, and, and, and the thing about uh, um, Pangos, okay, if in the end of the day, uh, he will direct, uh, reject it, says Kaufer again. I was just thinking that maybe Luca Vildoza might be that second option uh, after Kevin Pangos because, again, point guard or sh even shooting guard market for all these EuroLeague t teams is, is difficult. We can see from Alaric Freeman signing, yeah. we can see from uh, Fenerbahce signing. So <laughs> it's it's very tough market, but uh, at least, at least, as Kai, they're, they're busy, they're making moves, and that means that they want to win, win the title and they, they have the, they have the resources. Like so if it's if someone's mm -hmm. available, they can offer solid money. Uh, yeah, so what I was saying about superstars, uh, and I mentioned Chingelia, he's considered a superstar in mm -hmm. the context of the EuroLeague, but he doesn't seem like a good fit in Saska. I mean, in his first season, we were saying maybe he needs some time to adjust. Uh, maybe Tudis needs some time to adjust because he got used to working with uh, centers like Kyle Heinz and Otello Hunter and stretch four type of players like Foytman, Alec Peters and, and the others. And it was all about spacing. Now he has Milutinov and Shengelia. And right now, to me, it seems like Milutinov is better when Shengelia is not playing. They have better spacing with Foytman. Then Milutinov can do his job in the paint. And when they have Shengelia, they sort of have this duty to feed him, to give him the ball, to let him be himself. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't seem like himself in Ceska. 
it doesn't seem like a right fit. Shengelia is best when the team is built around him. This was this was the case in Basconia. And I really don't think that Saskia need him that much. If they have Milutinov, he covers the center position. They are better off with stretch four type of players that Itudis really loves. What do you think? Yeah, I'm actually looking now at uh, four player combos in Seska and the first three combos include uh, Schengelia playing next to Johannes Voigtman, uh, which is very logical. The fourth one uh, is with Nikola Milutinov at the center and Guess what? Shengelia is not in this four-player combo. I can only imagine. And Shengelia had his best games this season when Milutinov was injured. And vice versa. Yeah. Milutinov has his best games when Shengelia so, was injured. So now this game in Kazan. Did you feel like they're lacking something? Did they're lacking Shengelia? I mean, Fortman, they were a very well-balanced team. Yeah, Fortman was playing. Okay, Semyon Antonov covered some minutes. They had options. They they have players they can move to the fourth position like Leiber or Kurbanov in some cases. And you didn't have the feeling like, oh my God, they're missing Shengelia. Unix Kazan was missing Isaiah Cannon. Shengelia not playing was not an issue for Tseska. Shengelia is getting paid a lot of money, mm. obviously. So he's a very expensive player, not someone that could sign for, let's say, Tsirvena Zvezda. Mm. But do you think that after this season he should start considering some options? That's a hard question, if it's only a basketball-related question. I, I mean only basketball, for you to be happy and to be your best uh, version. Um, you know, Shigeli already made such an important decision of his life, moving from Georgia uh, to Russia, also leaving Basconia, that it would be, okay, he's he's with Ceska for two years already, but I'm just it's hard for me to imagine him giving up uh, this this idea of uh, trying to succeed with Ceska. Maybe it will be his personal agenda, you know, to prove that we are all wrong and maybe with a better fit at center position, let's say. I'm not saying that there's no disrespect uh, to Milutinov. I'm just saying that he needs a different type of center next to him or Milutinov needs different type of stretch for uh, playing uh, next to him. And there are two scenarios for Ceska. Either you... Uh, you have to sacrifice Shengelia and invest in a backcourt star, superstar, or uh, you have to move Nikola Milutinov. I don't know. If I was the GM and it was a decision to make, Milutinov or Shengelia, I would definitely stick to Milutinov. It's easier for any coach... Easier fit, yeah. ...to include him in, in his game plan. He doesn't necessarily need to have the ball a lot... He can generate points from second chances. He's probably the best offensive rebounder in the league right now, alongside Eddie Tavares. And for Shengelia to be successful, you need a lot of pieces. You need to have the team built around him. You need to have the coach that knows how to use him. Saska and Itudis, they are trying different solutions. They are trying to play Shengelia in the post. They were trying to play some pick-and-pop actions with him to allow him to drive to the paint, uh, to leave more space, but it's just inconsistent. And it was said that, like, Itudis had a choice. He always had his word in selecting players for Ceska. I don't believe up to this day that Itudis, it was Itudis' idea to sign Shengelia as a power forward. Everything was so good in Moscow with the spacing they had previously with all these power forwards that can shoot the ball very efficiently, like 40% from three-point rate, like Feutman, Peters. They even had like Demetrius Nichols. Mm. 
for this one particular job to stretch the floor. So I don't believe that the Tudis actually wanted to sign Shingelia. Maybe he wasn't against the idea in general, but I don't think he wanted to have him desperately. Yeah, and I feel bad. I feel so bad for Shingelia because he's a great uh, guy. He's a great character in the locker room, uh, true, true leader, true professional. But yeah, the thing is that he needs, he needs, he he requires a big fit uh, next to him and around him. So it will be a hell of a job for for Coach Tudis to find the right pieces around him. Who knows? Uh, maybe with some adjustments, maybe with one uh, one more superstar on their backcourt, maybe they will find uh, their rhythm. But so yeah. far, it's it's tough. It's tough. For for example, with Mike James, it seemed like it was quite working. I mean, when Milutinov was still healthy, when Mike James was playing at his level without all these uh, things which uh, happened around Christmas time, it seemed like that Tsuska was actually, they were dominating the EuroLeague standards uh, back then at the moment. So maybe there's a way. Uh, there's no one way, let's say, to win the EuroLeague, but that will be just a hell of a job. Well, one thing is for sure that this victory in Kazan was extra important for Tsuska. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh they were coming into this one after after a horrible performance against Milano, 57 points at home. They desperately needed to win this game because if you lose third time in a row against Unix Kazan, what it says, basically that Ceska, the best team in the VTB United League, is now losing its position. Mm -hmm. Now, new boys are in town. It's Unix. But they got this like statement win which also, I would say, relieves some pressure of the players and of Dimitri Situdis because right before this game, there was this interview with Batutin. And not only he said uh, all these things about superstars, mm -hmm. he also said that there are no untouchables mm -hmm. in our team. Sometimes not only coaches, but also GMs send some messages through the media. Mm -hmm. Maybe this was the case. And... I think there was uh, like a chip on their shoulders in this game in Kazan and they handled the pressure, they handled everything and they won it. So, respect. Uh, let's talk about uh, Olympiacos, uh, Pereos. Yeah. They are struggling a lot. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> they're on a three-game losing streak and I, I also tried to dig in if they had some post-COVID uh, problems because, you know, some, some players have some health issues, some players, they're still having uh, problems and getting back in shape. Bad conditioning. Bad conditioning, yeah. That, that's a real issue. But this time, I was told that they... They went through COVID lightly, uh, I would say, and it shouldn't be a, a serious reason uh, to explain their losing streak so far. But for me, it's, it seemed it just seemed like they lost their rhythm. They became a different kind of character team. Uh, and I remember very well when Shalunas Eskavages was always telling when Jalgiris was on a good run, they were doing good in the EuroLeague, but they were sometimes they were dropping some, it seemed like easy games for them, or at least the opponents they should have won. Uh, and uh, Shardas was always saying that my players felt that they are too good. And uh, for a team like Jargiris, for a budget, uh, such a budget team like Jargiris, for such a level team like Jargiris, you can never re relax and you can never lose your identity. And I think that Olympiacos kind of, they lost their identity. Um, because um, it started from the game against Fenerbahce. For me, it was very weird to see. And it's not, it, it happened 
and not just in that game, but also later as well, they were so bad in transition, letting all these fast break uh, points. Uh, they were so uh, they lost the focus. I mean, Dorsey is like running in a fast break, but he's uh, running out of bounds, for example, and getting the ball out of bounds, which tells a lot about focus. Uh, they started uh, playing bad uh, in, in defense. Uh, open looks missed. I mean, they're not diving for for 50-50 balls anymore. I mean. Teams like Olympiacos, and we we got some very, you know, uh, good questions. Why we think that they are so good that they will make the Final Four. The character and the basketball they showed let us think that this is the Final Four caliber team. But the character and the intensity of the game they're showing right now, it's it's not even the playoff level. And if they lose the focus, if they lose their rhythm, I mean, they, they might be out of the playoffs if they're continuing playing oh, like that. Definitely, you need to be serious about that. It all started in Istanbul, right? Mm. Uh, the 11th of January, 94-80. Fenerbahce beat Olympiakos. And Olympiakos, in the first part of the season, had, if I'm not mistaken, the best defensive rating in the league or the second best? They were one of the best balanced teams. Yeah, yeah. Now, all of a sudden, Fenerbahce, without the Colo and Vesely, scored 94 points against them. A lot of three-pointers. But okay. It's one game. It yeah. can happen. Maybe it sometimes. Was maybe it, yeah, it yeah. was a coincidence. Was maybe just had. Fenerbahce had a crazy night. Yeah, everyone was hitting shots. It happens, right? But then, January twentieth, Tel Aviv, eighty-four, sixty-nine. Again, a very bad defensive performance from Olympiakos against Maccabi that were they struggling. Were game losing streak. They were yeah. struggling. Then you're you're thinking, okay, maybe Maccabi got a little bit better. Oh. Maybe they're resurrecting. It still was a game in Tel Aviv, but you're starting to have some doubts about Olympiakos. Mm -hmm. And finally, the third game that actually proves that something is wrong at home against Rvena Zvezda. And when I hear after the game, Coach Bartzokas uh, talking about how it isn't fair that we can only allow oh a, a thousand fans in, in, into our arena. Let's not put losing games on lack of atmosphere or lack of support. You're at home against Ravenna Zvezda. You should be able to win in an empty gym. To me, I, I watched this game against Zvezda. To me, it was down to really poor coaching. Honestly, they could have won this game. They were not playing good. You can single out a lot of players like Tyler Dorsey and some others. They were not playing good. But I just felt like it was bad coaching. Like, for example, uh, you're very close. It's the fourth quarter. Okay, fair enough. You're trusting Yanulis Lerenzakis. You trust him. He's a hard worker. But how in the world, in one of the crucial possessions, Yanulis Lerenzakis gets to drive to the paint, mm. jump in the air and find a contact with Mitrovic and try to finish this way? Lerenzakis is not the guy that should be attacking the rim. No way in hell this should happen. You have Slukas to play the pick and roll. You have Dorsey. Let him yeah, play. Yeah, he's zero out from five. Still, shootings. he can Still, play yeah, in ISO. Like James. If he can play in ISO. 19, yeah. you have to play him. And Yanulis Lerenzakis in the crucial possession has the ball and makes a decision like this. It just shows that there was lack of coaching in this game. I mean, they had some moments going uh, in the pain, feeding Mustafa Fall. But you know that you cannot go like for seven or eight minute stretches feeding Mustafa Fall. You need something from your guards. Yes, they missed some open shots. Vezenkov missed some shots and others as well. But Sylvanas Vesda was leading for 
majority part of this game. And the funny thing is that Zvezda's best player, Nikola Kalinic, was not as impressive as he usually is. They just won because of team effort, not because of Kalinic doing some magic. Yeah, so this game really is a concern for me. And Olympiakos has some problems, and I really cannot explain why. I'm not sure. But the desperation from the coach talking about thousand I'm just fans. Wondering, maybe it was. Did you watch the press conference? I mean, I, I probably he was asked about fans, and maybe I, that was just off topic. I, I, I just thing. read the I quotes. I believe that it was. You know, he, he was telling like it was one of the reasons why it looked like that. No, I just read the quotes, but the uh. the actual thing how you how you're talking about this how it's unfair. Uh, what's unfair? What, what do you mean unfair? Bayern Munich is playing in a empty gym. I didn't hear a single word from Trinkieri or Bayern players comp- I complaining. I Ataman was co- complaining, probably it was last year, but I mean, all these people, they have to lose this thing because some of these teams, they really need all these fans in the stands because they are so uh, their budget is related to the ticketing and, and things like that. And if in some places you can allow having thousands of fans, why not? Why we we should punish uh, all you know ourselves with like okay let's let's uh, lock down all the arenas let's not uh, allow any fan uh, to come. I mean, I mean it's, talk, talk that to, would be unfair. Talk to your local government. <laughs> For example, Monaco. <laughs> it's it's, it's they, not, not a Euroleague issue. Monaco did an adjustment because I think that they were allowed as in in, in probably it was in in Villarban. I don't remember the limitation, but let's say they they were allowed to have one thousand and one point five thousand fans. They had three point five thousand people. Because because they had they made some agreements with uh, Monegasque uh, government, the pr- principality of uh, Monegasque. Of course, it's easy because they're they're connected uh, to their current uh, region with the prince and and things like that. But that's one of the ways how you can solve uh, these problems. I mean, or, or at least in the end of the day, in the end of the day, do not complain about uh, restrictions uh, in in our regions. And you know what's worse for Olympiakos? Yeah, they're facing Real Madrid. Oh yeah, away from and home. Then they're also facing uh, Vitoria, Basconia at Vitoria, which is they have to win this one. They I mean, must, they ha- that's that's that will be a very important game. It's a to, must win to game. lose five in a row, and especially against Basconia. Wow. If you lose five but in a it row, it won't be easy. If they are mi- still missing players due to COVID, and and the, it's gonna be their second game of the week. That's tough. They, they're in a dangerous situation. They cannot lose more games. Yeah, in Madrid, I I don't really expect them to win. Or no, I, no, no. Anything can happen, obviously. But then this game against Basconia, it's a must-win game for them because, like I said, five in a row, to lose five in a row right now, basically you're just killing everything that you did in the first part of the yeah. season when you were winning and you were like third or fourth in the standings. Yeah, we you like c- you can drop down very quickly in this Euroleague. Yeah, yeah, that's why we love this game. That's why we love this this league. That we actually love Olympiakos as well, but we just want to see the previous edition of uh, Olympiakos, not this one. Another just, just two wins above Anadolu Efes and Monaco. Do, that's the, super the two, dangerous. Two teams that are behind the top eight. Yeah, and just com- okay. FS is a different topic, but just compare it with Monaco. What kind of different situation they are? They are Fenerbahce. Fenerbahce are, are waiting for the Colo and Vessel to get back. Maccabi, they're let's always not, dangerous. Let's not rule out Maccabi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these teams can still push for the playoffs. 
from the 13th spot, which is Asphalt, these teams, I don't think that they have a legit opportunity. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, however, from these clubs, I would like to mention Cervena Zvezda. They are 14th. They have 8 wins, 12 losses. Their points differential is minus 21. Mm-hmm. For example, the teams close to them have minus 138, minus 149, and so on, etc., etc., which just shows how competitive Cervenas Vesda is. Even if, even when they lose games, they lose after a battle. There were some bad games, but usually it's uh, it's normal when you play thir normal 34 for, yeah. games in 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 the Euroleague. But usually they are very close. Yeah, for example, I'm looking at their results. Uh, okay, they had uh, one bad game against Unix. They lost by 20. They had a bad game against Basconi. They lost by 19. But for example, last five games, the game finished in less than four points. That was how close it was for, for Zvezda. Either they, they were are losing competing. or winning. They could have won in Istanbul against FS. We remember Kalinic missing free throws, Mitzic hitting free throws. They so lost in, in Saint, uh, against Zenit by four. They lost in Villarban by two. I mean, it's always a tough battle with, yeah. with Zvezda. Yeah. Okay, we can move on to Anadol FS and Zenit. They had a game in St. Petersburg. Third, third level, uh, third league basketball. <laughs> third level, uh, third league shooting. Yeah, third, third division shooting. Yeah, third, third division, division shooting. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. I was I was really looking forward to this game because I was expecting Shabazz Napier to make uh, his Euroleague debut. It didn't happen. We, we still have to wait. Seems like he has COVID, it looks like. Yeah, so we still have to wait. Uh, but when we heard the news that Shane Larkin is not going to play, I was thinking about what you talked uh, with Eric McCollum. You were talking about, and Eric McCollum mentioned it, that to win in the EuroLeague, you need to have like three of your best players performing. One player or one and a half is not enough. Two stars is not enough. You need some help. And watching Anadol FS right now, they are just not good enough to win without one of their key players. Like when Mitzic is missing games or Larkin is missing games, there's not enough star power. So it was a lot easier for Xavi Pascual to prepare a game plan when you have to be concerned mainly about Vasa Mitic without having headaches mm -hmm. of Shane Larkin. So Zenit was controlling the game in the usual way how they do with Xavi Pascual playing at home. It's not very exciting basketball, what Zenit is playing, but it's very mature basketball tactical basketball and you can see the greatness of a coach when players like Dimitri Kulagin find themselves somewhere in this system like Dimitri Kulagin he was he, important he, in he's, that game. he's talented he had a good season in Euro Cup in Krasnodar but last year he was not playing at all and Xavi Pascual picked him up from nowhere and, let's say and he was like one of their main point guards in this game on defense, he was covering Vasa Mitic for some stretches. On offense, he had some big plays. Even in the fourth quarter, he hit some buzzer beaters. And uh, yeah, you know what Zenit does. If you go with them to the fourth quarter without having the lead, in the fourth quarter, it will be isolation basketball. Billy Barron, Jordan Lloyd, they will play these 22nd or more possessions with players uh, finishing in the isolation. Uh, they are grabbing offensive rebounds, in the fourth quarter and basically when they have the lead in the fourth quarter they are masters of killing time 
mm. not necessarily scored, scoring points, but just killing Mastering time. Mastering possessions, yeah. Yeah, limiting the other team's mm-hmm. possessions, and at the same time, frustrating the other team with their 20-plus second possessions. And they were doing it so great in this game. But I have to agree with Ergin Ataman. They were missing wide-open shots. Yeah. They, it, it was a matter of luck also for Zenit. I mean, mm-hmm. Rodrik Boba gets two open jumpers in a row. What do you expect? He should hit them. Mm-hmm. He's an elite shooter. Misic the same. I mean, there Misic. was so many open Simon shots. Simon in transition, wide open, third quarter. Third quarter was the breaking point of this game when Zenit made a run mm-hmm. and they created their lead. But at the same time, it was not because they were defending very well. It's just because Hef is missing shots, wide open shots. Four from 25 in that game. And also they made only 22 of uh, 103 pointers in the last five games. That's only 22% of three-point shooting. That's that's terrible. And watching them shooting all these uh, three-point attempts, I was feeling like, uh, you know, going at Circus and trying to play one of these games where you have to hit the target. <laughs> and it, it, it's, a, it's a complete scam. And it seemed like the rim was probably s- smaller for, for, for FS. I don't know. but something, There's a lid on the basket. Something was just wrong. Yeah. It's, it's clear right now that they cannot win without having Misic and Larkin. They cannot win with and, only one of their superstars. And then they're missing the third. Yeah, this is the, the condition of the team right now. And I was thinking about that third guy in the roster. Last year, as I said in, in the pod uh, with Eric McCollum, uh, last year it was Kruno Simon, incredible game. But this season, I mean, I can uh, I, I accept that he's, he's you know, he's 35, he's 30, getting older, 36. 36 probably. You cannot expect a lot. You cannot expect him being a game changer. You need other players to step up. And at the same time, if we're considering Kruno Simon as a possible third guy on that team, I mean, he's he was uh, uh, he won at the arbitration case against Anadolu Efes because of that kind of conflict uh, with Ergin Ataman, uh, where he wanted to visit one of his uh, relatives' funeral and he was uh, rejected. But he instead he uh, went to the funeral uh, uh, in the end of the day, and uh, Ataman was was unhappy, and there were some fines. Uh, so he, he he got the appeal, and with the help of Elpa, they managed to win that case. I mean, and when I'm watching uh, FS uh, bench uh, FS chemistry in the court, especially take a look at the uh, timeouts and uh, one of the best examples uh, were the post-game uh, picture when the captain of the team Brian Dunstan came in the huddle you know to, to make that chant let's say one two three FS nobody yeah. gave any fist bump or anything and it's it was it didn't it didn't happen because of COVID it, it didn't happen because of some like let's say um, um, accidental scenario it happened because it's kind of a Natural finger right now for FS. They don't have any on and off court uh, chemistry. And the other thing which I want to discuss is uh, Chris Singleton. You know, when I'm watching him, sometimes he he has these streaks when he's amazing player because he can shoot from outside, from inside. He can make a fadeaway jumper. He can defend at, at a very high level. He can give a lot of on the court. But sometimes when I watch him playing, it seems like he retired three years ago. I don't see any passion in his game, any effort in his game. And sometimes I'm surprised why Ataman relies on him uh, so much, especially in uh, some decisive moments. And some of these uh, bad stretches happened in the game against Zenit, where 
Chris Singleton was just miserable. He's having a very poor season with 3.7 points per game. He's shoot making only 20% of three-pointers. And he's not delivering as he was delivering before, a few years ago at least. Well, if I was a GM of, let's say, a mid-table EuroLeague club, Chris Singleton with decreased value on the market, I would take him in a blink with a blink of an eye. Yeah. I, I still believe he has all these qualities you've mentioned. Maybe the way he's performing right now is really down to bad chemistry and simply just bad mood inside of the team. And we know that Chris Singleton is kind of a emotional player. We saw he him. So he, he do not show any emotions. R right now, maybe because he's just in a bad mood and in a bad moment. I don't know. But... Uh, Physically, it doesn't seem like he got any older. Mm. I well, he has all the tools. I remember the game in Barcelona when they were struggling. All of a sudden, he scores six points in the fourth quarter being aggressive. So he can still yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about a player that is unhappy and lost his passion for the game, if, for example, uh, between him and Ergen Ataman, there's some tensions... Maybe it has something to do with that. But if he's a free agent on the market, and let's say I'm yeah. a, I'm a GM of Bayern Munich, yeah, that, that's I'm, the team I uh, I'm taking about. I'm taking Chris Singleton, one hundred percent in a blink of an eye. Like I said, uh, yeah. So Anadolu as we heard then that Shane Larkin's injury is not as serious as it looked like. He should be back on the court. And Although they they probably will play uh, this double week uh, without, without Coach Ataman because yeah. he has some serious health issues. And on Wednesday, it's a very big game. Oh, they have a tough M schedule. Moscow. Them, right? Oh, yeah, Moscow. CSKA against Anadolu FS. It's like a classic uh, of the last couple of years. They faced each other in the EuroLeague final. They faced each other in the EuroLeague semifinal. Right now, both of these teams feel like they're not where they're supposed to be. Mm. I think both of these teams and the players believe they are top four quality. But Saska right now is somewhere between fifth and seventh, and Anadolu FS is actually out of the top eight. So it's going to be a very interesting game. Yeah, it's going to be one of the I best is games. Is Shane Larkin coming back? I'm not so sure. Or, or is it not, I'm not confirmed so sure yet? yet? Right, because I would love to see another office with full roster in this game, with full power. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's it's gonna be one of the best games uh, for this uh, double game week. Uh, also, I could suggest watching. Yeah, it says Canadolo FS on my list on Wednesday. Also, Real uh, Real Olympiacos. We will uh, see if there will be any reaction from Olympiacos side. Although it's it's hard to expect a miracle from from Greeks on Thursday. Uh, I would like to watch Bayern Maccabi and also Milan Fenerbahce. And on Friday, of course, Real is in it. It's probably the best game of the week, uh, except from Cescanadolefes. I think tomorrow there is an underrated game. Okay, tell me. Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Charas against Trinquieri is always something to watch. Uh -huh. From the tactical point of view, also such strong personalities and uh, as i remember from the last season it was not easy for barcelona against bayern munich so i'm expecting a really good game uh, tomorrow 
what are the odds that Trinkieri will be ejected? Because if, if you noticed, so many coaches were ejected when they were playing against Sharas. With, with tr- Trinkieri, uh, odds are always high, probably. Do you think there's a reason for that? No. <laughs> just a fun fact. <laughs> well, I, I will just check how it finished last season because I remember that Bayern got the win in Palau when the game didn't mean anything for Barca in the standings and it was important for Bayern to win it. Yeah, they won it like uh, 82-72 last season and they also beat Barcelona at home last season. And this season, the first game in Munich, 80-72, Barcelona won the game. So I think it will be quite interesting, even though Mm -hmm. Barca are the clear favorites. Yeah. And by the way, Shin Larkin was already back on track uh, against Fenerbahce in Turkish Championship. Oh. So he's good. That's good good news. That's very good news. Right. Okay, folks. It's good to have you back on the pod. Yeah. It is, and it was a very nice uh, hour we spent together talking about basketball. It was an hour? I thought yeah, it was like 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It, wow. It actually ran pretty <laughs> fastly. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for w- watching, everybody. You can not only watch us on basketnews.com website or basketnews.com YouTube channel, but also listen to us on all the main audio plot f- platforms such as uh, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and whatever uh, you're listening to your podcast. So see you soon. Bye.